This is it, guys and gals. This is the last episode of season one of the Gutsy Media Podcast. It has been a wild ride this first season. I've enjoyed it. I'm going to continue it. Just taking a few months off to uh, get a good head start on season two. Uh, I'm going to adjust a few things, I think, but it's going to be overall the same show that you're used to. Pretty excited about it. So uh, we will see you back here in probably February. Um, I'll make sure to put some announcements out there on social media. So make sure if you're not following me, Gutsy Media Podcast on Facebook, uh, you definitely do so. Also, subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, get the word out there, um, and look forward to season two. But that's not what you're here for right now. You're here for episode 12 of season one. Got a real doozy for you today. My two bosses, Casey and Chris, owners and operators of Don't Forget a Towel, have decided to join me today to talk about 2018's dark comedy western crime drama starring John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix, The Sisters Brothers. It was a great show. Really enjoyed recording with them. Really enjoyed them giving me the opportunity to do this podcast. And most of all, thanks for you guys for listening and giving me your feedback. I hope you enjoy. And now, on with the show. I love that movie. It was great. <laughs> had, have you had you seen the movie prior to this? No. What about you, Casey? Have you saw it before? Nope. Me neither. What What made you guys pick this movie? Just are you recording? Right? Oh, you are. Is this the beginning of the podcast? Is there I, an I intro? Like to, I like to just jump right in. It's just a it's just a normal conversation. We're just we're just chit chatting. I'm just happening to be recording it. Okay. Casey came up with that list and. And I was like, all right, let's, I'm going to throw some other movies at you. But I was like, wait, what movies are these? And once he said Western, I was sold. So that so, was my, that was my side of things. <laughs> does, does the Western stem from your latest project? No, it was before that. Even it was probably maybe it inspired it even. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Chris and I have liked Westerns for a long time. So what struck me as odd about this is I, I, I remember seeing the previews and I remember wanting to see the film. I personally love John C. Riley, especially when he does the serious roles. Um, and I remember that it looked like it was going to be like a gritty Western and the trailer kind of pitched it as more of a comedy or at least comedic parts um, and what's interesting about it is that it's it's billed on most of the websites as a black comedy western crime drama. Yeah, that's that's I I agree with that completely. It was definitely gritty, and it was definitely funny. So it was it filled all those, it was like checked off all those boxes for me. And that's why I think it just I really liked it a lot. It's a western because it kind of didn't fit the mold, but it definitely definitely fit the mold of a western. That makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought I, I thought it definitely fit the mold as a restaurant. I honestly didn't find very many parts funny. Um, if anything, there were there were scenes with Joaquin Phoenix where I think he 
intend it on kind of providing some comedic uh, aspects of it. But so I, I should probably just let the cat out of the bag early um, because I'm sure this is going to be a point of discontent for this episode. I am not a huge Joaquin Phoenix fan. Um, wow. I, I'm not a big, I'm not a huge John C. Riley fan. Um, really? But I like, like, I don't, I don't have anything against him. I just don't watch a lot of his movies. Um, but when I do, I end up enjoying them. I'm like, why don't I watch more John C. Riley? <laughs> so yeah, he's like I a big really time theater a actor, right? I, is he? I, I don't know. I think so. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, I just know him from Steve Brule and Step Brothers <laughs> and, you know, Talladega Nights. I mean, he does, you know, Chicago. Like, he will do some some serious stuff for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. Joaquin Phoenix, to me, I think he's very one-dimensional. Now, with that being said, I, I mean, he's got an extensive film career, and I think there are definitely films that he's in where he's exceptional. I mean... The Joker, which is the follow-up he does to this movie, um, is is an amazing film and uh, is, in my opinion, one of the best films I've seen of all time. Um, but I think he plays he he plays kind of the you know left of center than he did his main character in that movie. Um, I don't know. I just he doesn't blow me away. And in this movie, he didn't blow me away. Luckily enough, I think there was enough supporting casts. That uh, I, I really enjoyed the, the film. I thought it was very well well put together, especially for a, a modern esque western. Yeah, both um, both uh, Hall and Ahmed, uh, both those roles I liked a lot. I liked I liked it when um, I really like I really like Riz Ahmed. I've really grown to like him since since Rogue One. I think that he's a good actor, um, and also I've always liked Jake Gyllenhaal. And I think that having four characters kind of as the main characters carry the movie well because jumping back and forth between the different situations and then eventually how they they team up and whatever but yeah it was just it was a really good character driven movie i thought yeah there's so i I did a lot of research on this um and there's a lot of interviews about you know how the movie's put together and everything obviously this is the the director and i'm gonna butcher his name uh, although I did try to look it up beforehand and memorize it, but I got it. Uh, Jacou Ardier. This is his first English film. He's a French director, which is ironic to me that he decided to pick a Western to be his first English film, um, which is you know probably the most English of of American genres. Um, but anyway, they did a lot of a lot of post production uh, interviews and stuff like that, and the two groups of actors were actually split up during most of the filming with John C. Riley. And um, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, kind of being on that together on their own, you know, developing their kind of chemistry. And then Jake Gyllenhaal and Riz Ahmed being kind of on their own end. And they weren't introduced together until the characters were were introduced in the movie. Um, obviously, they, I'm sure they knew each other, you know, just being in the same acting film career. But uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. The other The other big crazy thing, in my opinion, is if you watch a lot of the post-film um promotional stuff they do joaquin phoenix is is filming the joker at this point he's skeleton thin he takes very few questions and he's oftentimes in the background of this group of actors um doing press 
giggling to himself and laughing and snickering for no reason. Like he's not talking to anybody. He just, and it's so creepy, especially to know what he goes on to do. Method acting. Yeah. He is a method actor. Yeah. Um, I hated this movie. <laughs> no, you didn't really. Totally did. Why? What did you, I, you not like? So boring. Oh, didn't think it was funny. Twice. Didn't think it was a Western. Didn't think it was a drama. Like it didn't hit any of those genres for me. <laughs> so I, I agree with you on the comedy part of it. Um, there was a film critic who, who made the comment that, you know, even movies like Shawshank Redemption has laughs, but every they're, movie they're, has laughs. For right. Sure. But they're more melancholy and tragic than anything else. And I think that film that fits this movie very well. It's very tragic, very melancholy. So I'll give you the not comedic thing. But to me, it was Western, you know, through and through. Why didn't you not feel it was Western? What was it lacking, in your opinion? I think um, as far as like the comedic thing, they tried. They, They straight up made jokes in the movie. Like... So the brothers joked between each other. So I do feel like there is there is there. I just didn't laugh like they made a joke. I didn't think it was funny, so I didn't laugh at it. But like they tried to be funny as far as like the Western side of things. I I think it what it was is it was the actors like to me. I can separate typically like Tom Cruise is going to well, Tom Cruise is going to play the same person almost every time. But um <laughs> John C. Riley, for example, I can see him switch or Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. I can see him switch between, you know, his darker roles and then his comedic roles. This one, I was just like, everyone just seems like they are. And I don't really see them acting to me. It seems like all these guys just got out in the West. They got the cameras put on them. And and then, you know, they said their lines. But to me, it never felt like they got beyond they're the actors and in, into the characters to me, just my opinion on it. I, I, for one, I, I bought into the Western, um, a, because now I'm, I live in the West. And so a lot of these locations they went to, especially when they got to California, um, I've been to, and I'm familiar with now. And so like when they go to the lake, um, full, full, uh, Folsom Lake, there, mm-hmm. there's a point where they go there. I've swam in that, um, and when you go in that water, there's like the fake gold, uh, it glitters and all this stuff. So I guess maybe it was easier for me to kind of believe that. Um, I can kind of see what you're saying about the actors and not buying into it to a certain extent because they were kind of well-known, but they, they did sell it to me um, because I just, I liked the storyline. I liked um, I liked the dynamic between the two brothers and, and then also the dynamic between um, Ahmed and Gyllenhaal. And then when they got together, it created a whole nother dynamic. And then it just, you know, they went on to, uh, I guess the whole, the whole MacGuffin of just getting to the, to using that chemical and getting the gold. And I don't know, it was just, I don't know. I just, I, I did enjoy it as, as, as a Western. (laughs) Yeah. So, so the film starts off and we got the two brothers um, who's, Last name is Sisters, which, okay, great throwaway pun that they decided to make the entire movie about. But you have the brothers, the sisters, brothers, 
um, which are Eli and Charlie, played by John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix. And the movie starts off, and it's dark, and you just hear them talking, and they're apparently trying to get some people to surrender. Um, they they work for a, a wealthy businessman known as the Commodore, who essentially hires them to be their muscle. I mean, this is like the Wild West Mafia. You know, if you owe the Commodore money, these are the the, the sisters' brothers are going to come come collect, and uh, they have a they have a run in. They kill some people, set fire to some stuff, and uh, you know that, that that's really it. They go they go back to the Commodore, um, check in more or less, and they get assigned this new mission, if you will, to find Herman Kermit Warm, uh, played by Riz Ahmed. And they also get notified that they're going to be getting a third person, a private detective, who is John Morris, played by um, Jake Gyllenhaal, who, in my opinion, did a phenomenal job in this movie. I, I think I, I think Ahmed did a really good job. He's probably my number two. But to me, Jake Gyllenhaal carried this movie. My only question is, what accent was he doing? Jake? Like is it English? Yeah. Is it supposed it to be English? English He's supposed to be an English bounty hunter, is what I read. But it doesn't quite. It's just, it's you. slightly <laughs> off. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not quite <laughs> there. Um, but so the so the the first part of the film, the first act, kind of splits back and forth between Jake Gyllenhaal, who has prior to the start of the film, kind of found. Uh, Ahmed's character and is writing letters to the sisters brothers saying I found him I'm gonna track him I'm gonna I'm gonna follow him to California and we'll meet up there and we'll we'll get him together and then the bro- the sisters brothers who are having a very rough time trying to kind of catch up to Hall's character and uh, and get this guy a- and somehow uh, Ahmed and Hall befriend each other through kind of happenstance and Ahmed reveals to him the real reason why the Commodore wants him, which is he has this hypothesis because he's a chemist to develop a formula that will allow you to get gold without really digging for it. You can just kind of pour the formula into the river and the gold will just illuminate like glow in the dark sticks. And that is enough to persuade Hall to kind of flip, sides and say you know screw it i'll go with you we'll make millions and they like they they had this whole conversation where they developed their own business logo which i thought was a little well i i guess if i'm gonna be nitpicky about the movie which i oftentimes am when i go into great detail about it these guys go from complete strangers to business partners in like a, a three scene cut which i think there could have been a little bit more development there a little more trust connection what do you guys think money talks yeah i agree and i don't i don't think it was by by happenstance that they became friends is because gyllenhaal's tracking him you know what i mean like he he put himself in a situation to become friendly with um mr warm well see i i don't know about that and the reason why i say that because when they first interact uh, Ahmed's character comes up to Gyllenhaal and is kind of like, "Hey, didn't I notice you at the last stop?" Mm-hmm. And and Gyllenhaal seems like he's almost trying to like 
played off and push him away and like no I, no I, yeah i see lots of people you know and it's not until ahmed kind of keeps the conversation going where jill and hall's like all right let me let me take this avenue and try to befriend you pull you in a little bit so that you don't run away that's the kind of the sense i got hmm yeah i got it as jill and hall was just kind of messing with him like this is his plan all along is hmm. to put himself in a situation to make friends with him uh, and build his trust and then also feed that information over to the sister brothers. So you do get a, a scene um, before the sisters brothers leave the Commodore where you do see the Commodore in passing. Mm-hmm. Do you know who plays the Commodore in the movie? I, I do. I looked, I forgot already. Was it's a, it? uh, it's Rucker Howard. Yes. Which is because insane. I, yes. He's in the got, movie was... for five seconds, zero talking at all. And this is this is not, I don't think it's his last film, but he passes away less than a year away from the release of this movie. Hey, man, you remember Hobo with a Shotgun? Like, that's Rutger Howard. Like, towards the end, a lot of these guys just start doing whatever. They just don't care. They're just like, you know what? I want to have fun. This sounds like a cool, like, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. (laughs) I guess for me, I was, I was more shocked that the director didn't take advantage of having such a great actor. I mean, why not give him a couple scenes where he could at least a few lines where you can, I didn't even know it was him until I looked at the cast. They could have been cut though. Like they could have shot more and just cut it. So I looked at uh, IMDB and I was very surprised and that's, and I, I was like, oh, I'm going to go look back and look. But it was always the second time I watched the movie. So I decided against that. Yeah. Car- Carol Kane also makes a great cameo at the end, which we'll we'll get I to. Yeah. So do I. I think she's great. I've loved her since um, Scrooge. Um, exactly. So the sisters brothers have a couple encounters on the way to meet up with, with uh, Ahmed and Gyllenhaal. And um, it, it becomes very evident that the Commodore has sent a few other people. Or no, excuse me. First, they run into a uh, uh, girl, Mayfield, who has encountered Gyllenhaal and Ahmed and decided to send her own people after them. Um, the, she also tries to take out the sisters' brothers. That doesn't go very well because they're, they're, they're surprisingly good gunfighters. Like, th- their characters are kind of projected as, like, uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character, Charlie Sisters, is an alcoholic. And uh, John C. Riley's character at least in my opinion, didn't seem to be all that intelligent. You kind of, in the in-between scenes, you get this premise that they're like, you know, befuddled little criminals who don't know, you know, their ass from a hole in the wall. But when it comes to the actual gunfight scenes, they're they're very well done. I mean, they take at least three different times throughout the movie. uh, The two of them take on, you know, five plus people and, and, you know, do it with no problem, really. Yeah. So, which kills me because this none of this plays into the westerns for you. Just because you put a gun in someone's hand doesn't make him a cowboy. Well, so what would make this western? I mean, okay, so they're in the west, gold <laughs> rush. Yeah. They're in the 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 right outfits. They're the gunfighters. I mean, they're going to saloons. How? What? What aspect of a western are they missing? It's it's not even like I said, it's not that like all of that's good. And uh, we haven't talked about the soundtrack yet, but we probably will. Um, <laughs> at least I'll talk about it. But like 
to me, you know, Robin Hood Men in Tights, is that like a period piece? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just because you dress it up to look like what you're going for, but at the same, you know, it doesn't, to me, it, it never hit that Western feel. Like, I am not especially a big fan of the remake of True Grit by the Coen brothers, and I know most people are. Um, it like got a you know Academy Award nomination and stuff like that. But even though I didn't like it, it feels like a western. What what uh, Quentin Tarantino does, despite what Quentin Tarantino says in all his films, Hateful Eight, uh, Django Unchained, feel like a western. Now you got Ennio Marconi doing the soundtrack for those movies. Like I get it. No one else is going to be able to make music like that man and and make you feel like you're in a Western like that man. But at the same time, it's just like there was a I don't know. It's just like a feeling of being in Western. They're always slower a little bit, you know, Tombstone, Quick and the Dead, completely different. Uh, uh, Sam Raimi, like those shots are Sam Raimi shots. You know what I mean? Like he has a way of quick cutting and quick editing and quick shooting that doesn't look like a lot of other directors out there. But I still felt like I am in a Western for some reason, this movie. And like I said, it, it to me, it really came down to the acting because we'll talk about it later. Cinematography wise, that's Western. I mean, there were shots in there that I was like, damn, this looks like it's grainy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it really looks like that but i as soon as the actors started going into their things again i just got shut off and i was like Ugh, all right let's see what they're gonna talk about now <laughs> that, <laughs> it was just i couldn't connect with them did you watch westworld seen first season did you think that was western i mean i've seen a movie, you know yeah like <laughs> Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard. That's a hard question. Um, a... <laughs> and I also like. I also don't know if say like bringing Robin Hood Men in Tights compared to this movie. Saying you know, I. <laughs> that's a fine comparison, but it's it's kind of weird to me too. But um, outside the actors, the fact that you bring up the cinematography, I mean, that's it is a gorgeously uh, filmed movie, and I think just that alone um, did it for me. Yeah. Plus the soundtrack, like you said, and it was like maybe. Yeah, maybe these big name actors are the one thing that could hinder, like, maybe anybody from watching, getting it, you know, into it completely. But I, yeah, I just, I'm just kind of baffled um, by, by your opinion. But I love your opinions as well. So it's all good. <laughs> you're you're a big soundtrack guy. I am not. I don't really pay attention to the soundtrack. I mean, to me, the soundtrack is one of those elements where if it's bad, I'll notice it. But if it's good, I won't. And that's kind of, I mean, maybe that's what makes a good soundtrack is not noticing it. But um, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you anything about the soundtrack. I don't remember a single sound that was uttered. But like with what I just said, that's probably because it was a good soundtrack. Do you? I mean, you're the soundtrack guy. Is that was it a good soundtrack to you? So yeah. Well, let me back up though. Do you know the theme song to Star Wars or Indiana Jones? Of course. But those but, are also those are those are cult classics. Those are built into the pop culture of of you know the last twenty years of my life. And I've also heard those songs sixteen thousand times. 
I mean, you you can't compare Star Wars to the Sisters Brothers. But there was a time when Star Wars was a little independent movie that happened to get an amazing soundtrack that has built into our minds for the last 45 years. But at the time, it you know, like the soundtrack to movies nowadays um, are not always as elevated as something that a John Williams does. You know, every once in a while you get like the Avengers theme that most people do know now, but uh, it is a big problem in society as a whole or cinematography or as a whole that we don't know that we don't problem in society. I do think so. Like, I could I could sing you the Goonies theme song right now. You know what I mean? Because it was a pumped thing. Everyone knew what it was. And now they don't focus on those things as much. We played in the 90s. And well, the 90s song soundtracks. Yeah, exactly. That's like I get it. Um, I have to I have to agree with with um, with Casey because the one of the biggest things for Star Wars. I'm, we're getting off track with Star Wars, but. The biggest thing for like Star Wars and those movies Sorry, are the soundtracks. Are the <laughs> I soundtracks? Love, I love tangents by all means. So, <laughs> so it's those though. Like listening to the music brings me back to the movies, and vice versa. It's like if it wasn't like, would this movie be the same without John Williams? No. Um, here, um, I was also impressed. With, um, his name is what Alex- Alexandre Desplat. That's is that who he yeah, is. Yeah, he, he is phenomenal this guy i've i've loved his stuff for a long time uh typically um a little bit on the french side of things um but if you listen to what he did for the imitation game i think he won an oscar for that grand budapest grand budapest hotel um recently he did win one for the shape of water um i don't know argo i mean harry potter (laughs) Like we could go through like a lot of Wes Anderson stuff too. Like he just does amazing, amazing work. And um, he was actually attached to, um, I want to say solo or one of the recent star Wars movies and the timing didn't work out, but uh, yeah, he's just, he does a really good job. So the music in this movie was one of the things that I was like, okay, this feels like, and he's not known for Westerns either. It was like, it was kind of funny. Like, and maybe again, that's another thing that took me out of it is that nobody was attached to a Western in any way. And right. like all these elements came together to say, we're making a Western. And I never once like true grit, I'll bring it up again. When Jeff Bridges puts on Jeff Bridges's voice, he just feels he, like right. that or like Sam Elliott, like that dude can be in the most modern of times and he still looks like a <laughs> cowboy from the 1850. You know what I mean? Like, so that's all I'm saying is like, sometimes you get that feeling of I am in a Western. Um, and to your point of Westworld, like, uh, what's her name? Rachel, um, the main girl there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like you're, she's, she's just freaking fantastic job. And you feel like at least in those scenes, like her character is really delivering on that. So, all these guys to me just like showed up on a set that looked like the westerns, but it never, it never to me felt like it. Hmm. So the the sisters brothers end up catching up with Ahmed and uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, and they have 
this interesting kind of meetup. So the Jill uh, uh, Hall and Ahmed kind of get the drop on them and wind up um, capturing them. They get, get them handcuffed. And unfortunately, they're also ambushed by a couple other of the Commodore's men because the Commodore has sent more people after Ahmed. And they're, they're forced to kind of team up, the four of them, to fight off these other guys. They do. And it builds just the right amount of ounce of trust that they need it to kind of have the conversation of, we have this idea. We have this thing that we can do. We can all become rich. Let's make it happen. They successfully convinced the sisters brothers to abandon the Commodore's mission of killing Ahmed or torturing him for the, for the recipe. And instead they work together and you had this kind of time, time-lapse montage, which I can only assume a week goes by ish. I kind of got the sense that it was at least a couple days. And uh, mm-hmm. John C. Riley's character, uh, Eli's sisters winds up befriending Hall's character kind of more so than the rest of the group bond, um, which is also important to note that around the same time, the two brothers are kind of having this, um, I don't want to say quarrel, but Eli's had enough. You know, he's kind of, we've saved up enough money. It's time to move on to the next part of our life. Let's slow down. He talks about opening a little store or something. Whereas Joaquin's character, uh, Charlie's sisters, he's more into let's keep this going. Let's keep this going and let's go back and kill the Commodore and take his place. <laughs> yeah. And, and become the mafia boss. So they're, they're having this, this I don't want to say falling out, but it's clear to both of them that they have different paths forward and they're not really sure what's going to happen after this. So you kind of see this divide happening, which is, which is at this point where I thought the movie was going to go. I thought it was going to go to these two brothers kind of being on opposite sides of the, of the barrel, if you will. This is after Mayfield, right? Yeah. So this is, this is kind of really where the plot starts to, to really build. They're, they're getting the stuff together to try Ahmed's recipe for the first time and, and look for some gold. And I think this is, to me, this is where I was really getting into it and really, it's really getting good for me. One of my, one of my favorite scenes is when John C. Riley is, is, is brushing his teeth at the river and then Hall comes down <laughs> and he's like, and he's like kind of sharing a moment there. And Hall is just like kind of shaking his head. Like what's wrong with you? But those little, those little moments like that are great. Um, but yeah, so they, so Mayfield sends men after them. So they're like a couple of days ahead. So yeah, that, that whole scene, like you said, must've been under a week. Um, the breakdown of Charlie is, is kind of what I expected from Phoenix in the first place, um, playing that kind of that crazy character. You could see it from the beginning, delusions of grandeur, def- definitely mental illness. Um, and then you have Riley who plays the, you know, Eli and the big brother, yeah. Who seems to be like this guiding force, right? And this, and you kind of look at him like, well, he's he's not that smart, but at the same time, it's like he does, he's like the more compassionate one. And so you follow like this degrading, I guess, downward slope of the relationship until you get to the point where he reveals what happened in their childhood, and he like tells that story, and he's like, well, you know, it should have been me, but it was it was Charlie who shot her father. And killed him and had, you know, so you start to really see that at that point and why Charlie is the way he is. And all of a sudden, 
you see you see more of that like that caringness of of Eli. So I thought that as much as they were they were starting to move apart, um, there's this part of Eli being the caring brother that he is that he wouldn't abandon Charlie if things got even to the worst. He could get to the worst. I don't. That's and then um, of course everything that happens <laughs> yeah. with the chemical. So yeah. So. Uh, the, there's a there's a scene where John C. Riley and, and or Eli and Charlie are talking to one another, and um, so Charlie is an alcoholic. He he drinks throughout the film. There's actually a, quite a few scenes where the next morning he struggles to kind of ride his horse because he's throwing <laughs> up and he's kind of this hangover. Yeah. And uh, they also they also talk several times throughout the movie about their father and how their father was you know a raging lunatic, alcoholic, and so on. And there's a scene where Charlie Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix character says our father was stark raving mad and we have his foul blood in us. And Eli replies with our father was a drunk, Charlie. And to me, it was kind of a throwaway scene. I think it might've been an attempt for humor, but it's also shines a, a, a direct light on the fact that our father was screwed up because he was a drinker, just like you are just like you're a drinker. And I think it was, it was the attempt to kind of paint uh, Charlie's character in the same spotlight as the crazy father they've been talking about this whole time. All this top 40 music is so boring. Jeez, I sure wish I had something geeky to listen to. Well, I've got just the thing for you, stranger. Who are you and how did you get in my house? Don't even worry about that. If you're looking for the latest, greatest, and geekiest podcasts around, you should check out Those Geeks You Know. Those Geeks You Know? Wow! Three friends talking about comic books, movies, TV shows, all the things that I geek out about. But seriously, you gotta leave now. Be sure to check out Those Geeks You Know on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter and tell everybody that you know. You, you gotta leave. I called the cops. It's like a real deep dive into this movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you at this point, you're are you checked out? I mean, are you? I, I, yeah, for sure. <laughs> what? At what point did you check out? What? What was the scene that was like? Okay, I can't do this. Uh, what time did you real, watch? This it was movie real yet? early on. I, I'm gonna be hundred percent honest. I watched it over the course of the time that we decided to do it. So what last three weeks mm-hmm. I just slogged and and dug my way through this film to <laughs> ten really, minutes at a time. Yeah, really honestly that's how it was. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> well I'm glad I didn't pick this movie. I know. I was like I there's multiple times where I was like well, Chris already told me he watched it twice, so I can't suggest another <laughs> movie. So I, I better get through this thing. I'm glad you suggested it. Hey, <laughs> you, I, you I, I'm glad you didn't like it too. Actually, it's a good debate. <laughs> yeah, make sure, sure more than oh, we agree on everything. <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so they get to the point where they finally have the chemical done, and um, they they dilute it a little bit. They pour it into the river, uh, and they wait a second, and they stir it up. And now at this point. All four men are in the river with this chemical, and the the gold starts shining. So they start just scooping the gold out. Quick, 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 scoop the gold out. And then there's a couple lines where 
uh, Ahmed's character says, if your hands start burning, <laughs> go take a break. And you have them kind of going in and out of the river. They're washing their hands and arms, and then they're going back and scooping a few more, and they're coming out washing their hands and arms. And Charlie says, at, at one point, he's left in the river by himself because he's the only one that's like, I'm going to I'm gonna take this for as long as I can. And uh, he says, it's starting to fade. It's start, the, the gold's starting to go away. So they're like, okay, well, I mean, we'll just you know try again later. Not a big deal. And Charlie's like, nope. And he goes and he grabs the giant bucket full of the original uh, chemicals, the, the non-diluted stuff, and decides that he's going to take it upon himself to go to this kind of makeshift dam that they've created and pour the rest of it in. And at this point, all three of the other guys start freaking out. No, Charlie, don't do it. Don't do it. He slips, pours the chemical all over his arm and into the river where the other men are kind of rushing up to him. So they get like the, the blunt of this undiluted chemicals. And this is where the movie kind of gets real dark in my opinion. Um, Cause the, you have Jake Gyllenhaal's character who gets doused pretty heavily with the chemical. He, it, it fast forwards to the next morning. Um, he is in, He's basically lying on the ground. He's struggling to talk. He's got chemical burns all over his body. And he convinces uh, John C. Riley's character to hand him a pistol. And he kills himself because he just cannot take the pain. Uh, in the tent, in their campsite, Ahmed is lying in the bed. He's able to speak, but he is completely blind and also has chemical burns all over his body. And he is talking to Joaquin Phoenix's character. And it's very evident that he is not aware of where he is or who he's talking to. I believe he thinks he's talking to Eli or Ahmed. I'm not really sure. Um, and he ends up dying as well. Yeah. Um, just, it was um, just, I don't want to correct you, but the John C. Riley was in the tent with him. Um, and then Charlie gives that guy the gun. Oh, and okay. So, okay. That makes more sense because it was like, you could see the compassion from, from um from eli he was he was there and he wanted to make sure that uh harm you know was comfortable i mean harm puts him like goes in the water to save jillanol's character and it was like you've known this guy for how long you know what this stuff does so that that was actually kind of like wow uh you're gonna sacrifice you know what this sacrifice is you're gonna save save your friend um and that was just like like you said it got so dark at that point and i was just it was sad because it was it was all brought about by Charlie's rash, like irrational decisions and, and just being kind of that, you know, unstable character. And it just, and how it just kind of ruins everything for not only himself and Eli, but everybody around them. He's like this calamity Jane um, character. And it's yeah, like, well put, well put. Yeah. It's just, it's so, it was so messed up because they got to the point where they, 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 they had their goal, they had their gold, and it would have been great. They could have just waited the next day, but that Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> that Joaquin Phoenix, you know him. Yeah, and it, I mean, at this point, the movie kind of races to the end. It, it's almost like, you know, it's just, you put on the the, the burners and let's go. Uh, the, the sisters, brothers go back to town. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix gets his burned arm chopped off because it's so mangled and, and he's in so much pain. 
while like literally moments after this happens, John C. Riley fights off like five guys in the town center that yeah. the Commodore has sent after them. Because at this point, they haven't come back. The Commodore thinks that you know they've just vanished, which they they pretty much did. John C. Riley knows that they're not going to be able to go very far unless they they handle the Commodore. So they go back to wherever they started off and come to find out the Commodore's passed away on his own. They really don't have any place to go, so they go back home where they meet their you know their mom for the first time in the movie, played by Carol Kane, the legendary uh, film actress. And then you have this kind of quick montage of them like hanging out with their mom and taking a bath and eating dinner and being kids again, and that's it. I mean the the last the last act in this movie is like a marathon. It's a huge, it's a huge like status quo change back to a comfort, like a comfort zone, right? And so that that kind of threw me because you wouldn't expect that in this movie. You would expect a big shootout, maybe they die or whatever. I really thought that John C. Riley had died in that shootout in the street um, because they don't show, like, of course they don't show anything, and so he's not dead. But then when he's when they show him and he's like such a badass, um, and then it just kind of goes from there, and then it's like, oh wait everything's good again <laughs> so i was kind of that kind of threw me for a loop at the end i liked it um but i'm also for like those grand shootouts where nobody survives and and uh the sun sets whatever right <laughs> or the or the heroes right off into the sunset you know whatever it was a very it was a very change of pace ending for the entire movie i felt i think that um at that turn Again, because they had thrown in so much comedy in in which westerns typically don't have that much comedy. Maybe a throwaway line here, you know what I mean? Maybe Clint Eastwood says something badass to make it kind of funny, you know what I mean? But like Quentin Tarantino obviously will throw in some jokes. But um, I guess to me at that point of them getting the gold and all that, I was like, what are you trying to do? Because this, again, this would not happen in a Western. And then as it races through the ending, okay, shootouts, yes, classic. You know what I mean? And there was some different um, shots like out in, in like a plane and like in the dark. And, you know, there was some cool, again, cinematography-wise, great stuff there. But I just felt so much like this is just not... <laughs> Just not what I was expecting, not and not in a good way for me. So you you made several comments to all the comedy uh, in the in the movie. It's funny that you say that because I think the exact opposite. I, I mean, what what comedy are you referring to? What what are the you had the the gag with the toothbrush um, that you know he he gets the toothbrush doesn't really know how to use it, but even then it's not really like to me it wasn't an attempt for a joke. It was more of an attempt to put him in that time period. Um, oh, here's a brand new invention. Other than that, oh, and you also have that one alley scene where they the brothers are like, you know, he hits the brother and they have this kind of joke of, I didn't hit you with a shovel, which was kind of a throwaway scene in my opinion. But what other comedy? I can distinctly remember like at the end uh, where they're going to go and like kill the Commodore and then they get to the funeral home and he's dead. And they're like, oh, hey, 
you know, there's really no one else here who are going to come to see him. Can we close the casket? And then, like, Joaquin Phoenix is like, so that's kind of disappointing. And John C. Riley is like, yep. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is a scene built for comedy. The the very beginning of the movie is also darkly yes. funny. Yes. Um, with the like the horses, uh, the whole horse barn thing is yep. is darkly funny to me. Um, and maybe that's that's maybe that's more my 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 sense of humor as well. Maybe why I found some of it funnier. But those kind of situations where they're just like like holy crap, like this is the, this is kind of the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. I, and then they kind of make light of it, and it's just I I don't know. It was I, I'm not looking for funny ha ha ha. I'm looking for more like I can snicker at something because it's it's darkly funny. Um, another scene is like the whole spider thing, um, gross and also darkly funny. It's just like, yeah, it made me think like this is why I wasn't sleeping on a tent when I'm camping out here most of the time. Now I now I do more, but I'm zipping it up, making sure you know. So I'm not sleeping outside. Uh, but all these kind of situations, <laughs> all these kind of situations kind of can get a laugh. Yeah, that was uh, maybe, a sight like, gag, you know, yeah. with, the, with the bubbled up face. Like, that's a sight gag, straight up. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, the whole spider thing. See, and that's the thing. Maybe dark comedy just doesn't register with me because this isn't the only <laughs> film that I've watched that was like, quote unquote, dark comedy, where some of these things I'm like, I don't, to me, that's not an attempt to be funny. To me, it's just an attempt to like, explain the west and yeah it's dangerous there's spiders out here that could, <laughs> I, honestly i thought so so there's a there's a scene where he is sleeping and a spider crawls into his mouth and he winds up eating it or it, swallowing it or whatever and then for the the next part of the ride he's ill his face swells up um i think he gets sick a few times and i i think they actually show a scene where he spits up like cobwebs um which i i thought he was gonna die I thought that was going to be the, where they took it, where he dies and Charlie barely makes it to the other two. And, and obviously, you know, they didn't go that route. But I, I don't know. I, that must have just gone over my head. I didn't I didn't <laughs> see any of those scenes as being funny. I saw them as more playing into the characters and, and the character development. Yeah, I can I can be kind of a dark individual sometimes. Um, but <laughs> no, I, I also like that scene because it also showed um, Charlie's Charlie does care about his brother. Um, he yeah. did somewhat take care of him um, the best he could uh, for being somebody of his um, of his Ilk. mindset. So, yeah, I just I, it did give kind of like this insight into the fact that the brothers do care about each other. Um, but then again, maybe I just laugh at things that I shouldn't be laughing at. <laughs> I, I do think the, the end. I think they me, were intended to be funny. Okay. I, I mean, it's it's labeled as a as a dark comedy. I would imagine that you're right. Um I, the ending to me is what kept this movie from being great rather than just good. Uh, I think that if they had slowed down the pace a little bit, if they had, they, they had so many these little threads throughout the movie, they could have pulled on with the Commodore. Um, they could have elaborated on that and that kind of conflict more. I think they could have done more with the brothers and the future they were going to have and, you know, them parting ways or even becoming enemies. Um, it was the, the whole premise of the chemical burns and everybody basically dying and having this kind of dark ending was like a, was like a left turn. And, and I'm, I'm not saying it didn't work. I'm just saying, I don't think it was the best option for an ending um, because you didn't see any of these little threads pay off at all. Yeah. 
I agree. Agreed. 100%. <laughs> so uh, the movie comes out September, well, it premieres in Venice Film Festival September 2nd, 2018, um, goes uh, wide release the 21st of September. It's approximately 121 minutes or just over two hours. Uh, film budget of $38 million, which is insane. Uh, winds up only uh, box officing about $13 million, so critical failure uh, in every aspect <laughs> of the word, really. Um, which is, is sad to me because so the, the movie is based on a, a novel by the same name. Um, written from Eli's perspective in the first person perspective before the book was released, John C. Riley's wife gets a hold of the manuscript, winds up reading it. They option the movie rights. This is in 2011. She and him are producers on the movie. So this is largely John C. Riley's, well, at least his wife's project. And I, I, I think it doesn't surprise me that it wasn't like a critically acclaimed like Oscar winner, but I am a little upset to see it not do, you know, as well as I think it should have. I mean, 13 million on a $38 million budget is, is grossly underperforming for a movie that I thought was entertaining. So this, that was the first time I ever heard of the movie was when Casey sent that list. So that says one thing about it, I believe. Um, (laughs) I had no idea it existed. So, um, and at the same time, it won ten awards across different, um, you know, different um, film festivals and whatnot, and was nominated twenty-two times. So, I I have a really hard time with with movies going to the theater these days um, because I feel like the theater is kind of at its at its tipping point, especially now, um, where. Did this movie cost that much because of the star power? You know, that's is that yeah, I mean that, that that's a really good point. I mean, you have a lot of big names in the movie, especially above the title. Um, it also filmed in like three different locations that aren't close together. Uh Spain, North America, uh France, Romania. So I mean they, they moved around quite a bit as well, which can't be cheap. Yeah, I mean 38 million is still considered a low budget movie and the actors themselves probably all did it at a short, a smaller amount. And here's the thing, even though they're known actors, I'd say Jake Gyllenhaal and now Joaquin Phoenix are probably the two biggest of the group, you know? Um, And I think like they probably all agreed to not, get paid as much but it was probably like costumes moving you know what i mean the music keep keep in mind this is gyllenhaal pre spider-man spider-man's the next film he's on yeah but jake gyllenhaal has been a a quote-unquote leading man for a long time he's led his own movies for a long time now ever since donnie darko like he doesn't need like there's certain actors like riz ahmed he needs somebody else to be in the movie who's somewhat of a name for anyone to go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. John C. Riley. he could probably lead his own movie, but he typically doesn't either. So you right. know what I mean? It's like Joaquin Phoenix, the movies that he does lead, with the exception of The Joker, are all indie movies. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, Think about yeah. the last time you saw a, a Joaquin Phoenix movie. What was it? That wasn't Her a theater. Okay, exactly. So you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> 
that's what I'm saying. Like they're not huge actors. No, you. I think you're right. I think um, so. Joaquin goes on to do Joker. Gyllenhaal goes on to do uh, Spider Man. Um, John C. Riley goes on to do Holmes and Watson, which utterly bombs. I, I don't know. All in all, I think uh, the movie was interesting. I, I do think, in my opinion, uh, Gyllenhaal is the is the throw is the the um, the best actor in the movie. I liked his character. I had more invested in his character than I did any other character. Um, I don't know. I, it was it was a good movie. It was entertaining. I had higher hopes for it going in. I love John C. Riley, and I usually, you know, like I said, I, I don't really follow a lot of his movies because I don't I don't watch a whole lot of comedy. Um, so but his character, I really liked um, because I like that. I like that nice guy, nice guy character. I do. I always do. And I think that when they're trying when they're struggling against like the the tide or, or you know, Joaquin Phoenix, um, I just I feel I feel their challenge um, and everything he went through um, when he lost his horse. That was I was I was super sad. Um, I just I, I was able to really like relate to him in a lot of ways, um, also with his brother. But um, but I really liked his role in that movie. And and I thought that I'm glad that you shared that information about that. It was kind of like a passion project for his wife and him. Um, and you can see you can see that um, that kind of paid off in the end. I was going to say that um, I know you like to shit on theater sometimes, but if this movie didn't go to the theater, it would not even have made as much money as it did. Because oh, 100%. you didn't know about it. I was the only one of the three of us who did. And if it like the general audience has no idea what this movie is, you know what I mean? And like yeah. this would have gotten hit hidden on. We watched on Hulu. It would have been hidden on Hulu where without searching for it, it's not popping up on anyone's like must watch list. But that's my point about the theater now is that you have the you have all these streaming services people are put like they're putting money behind it um why go and make a movie and throw these big stars in it when you can do it probably for a streaming you know these days now yeah smarter idea but i yeah you're you're right that it has to make that movie in the theater that way but there are as we've spoken about at, at length there are other ways to go around that right here here's the issue in my opinion for why theaters are still relevant in an era where everything is digital. You know I mean? Look at, look at the, the um, um, uh, CD industry, not the CD industry, but the, the music industry, they went from CDs uh, to iTunes, you know, quickly. Um, I think the reason is because the price point I can pay $7, $10, you know, depending on when I go for a movie ticket or, you know, Mulan just dropped and I got to pay 30 bucks to watch it at home. Uh, th- it's a significantly different price point. And I think th- if you kept the digital downloads at the same $7 ticket price as a movie or $10 ticket price as a movie, then you're going to be more apt to sit comfortably in your pajamas on your couch, make some popcorn in the microwave and just watch the movie. And now, I, and by that, I mean the basic moviegoer. There are definitely people like us who enjoy the cinematic experience and the 3D IMAX huge event that it is going to the movies, but that's not your standard moviegoer. 
the argument against the $30 charge is that if, if somebody's going to take their family, the movie, you're going to spend that much or more. Wow. Um, take you and your boys and your wife. Right. That's so already that, $30 just to go to the that theater. 30 bucks right there is, is that ticket price that they're making that up for the loss of X, Y, Z, you know, whatever. And but I, I get if that. they're only charging. Yeah. Right. But if they're only charging seven bucks and you're watching it with your friends, that's only one seven bucks, you know? So I just, right. I, but that, that argument my, is, yeah, that's my issue. I, I get that that's their that's their thought process is, you know, you're going to charge you $30 because you're going to get three or four people together and you're essentially paying the same price. But when we go see a movie premiere and five of us meet up at the theaters, that's not what's going to happen. I'm not going to call five friends and say, hey, come over, everybody chip in five bucks and we'll rent the movie on digital. But Instead, that's what it's people gonna... do for like, think about pay-per-view. I think there's there, it's different. It's different. It's not the same experience. When I'm getting a pay-per-view, I'm a huge UFC fan. When I rent a pay-per-view, I am getting my buddies together. We're going to yeah. get a case of beer and a pizza, and we're going to watch the UFC. And the entire time, we're going to be cheering and screaming, and oh my god, this is crazy. You don't do that during movies. You sit there quietly, and you watch. And that is a more intimate thing. I'm not inviting my buddies over to turn off the lights and cuddle on my couch and watch a movie. It's and not watch happening. Endgame? Maybe me and my wife, maybe the kids, if it's a kid-friendly movie, but that's kind of about it. We also have to look at this. We live in a way different world now where if you, like, I choose not to go to the theater because I'm not going to the theater. Um, but I am very saddened that I can't go to the theater. I want to see Tenet. I want to see Wonder Woman 84. I want to see these movies on the big screen because that's where you want to see them. And that's that's my argument against watching at home until you get that projector or that 100-inch screen TV, whatever. But you can create that at home, I think, too. So there is there's these counter arguments about what's what's right for you individually as a, as a moviegoer and what you would go and see. You know, I think that there's there's an option for everyone. And if the movies do go back to being you know, where everyone can go to the theaters again or whatever, then I think they should still charge that much at home if people want to choose to stay home and watch it. Make more money, you know? So that's that's my argument. <laughs> <laughs> so the one last thing I want to I want to say before we move on to the five questions um segment is the final sequence where the, the brothers go back to mom. You have you know them walking into the house. They they have this dinner scene, and I, I'm not no particular order. They have this dinner scene. They have this like bathtub scene where they're like washing up, and uh, I think they're hanging out on the porch at some point. There's there's just these different cuts. The entire final sequence was shot in one single continuous take. The actors would would go off screen and switch costumes, and then come back on and recreate uh, these leaps in time for the closing segment, which I thought was really cool. I also thought was completely unnecessary, but it was still pretty cool. I thought. Hmm. I love I love one shot. Whenever you see it, it's 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 the greatest thing ever in cinematography. Me and Will, me. I want to say it's episode two of season one, uh, did Birdman, which is just phenomenally shot with these long, continuous scenes, which I think is what makes that movie so tremendous. Yeah, that movie was shot to intentionally to look like it was one take. Like the entire movie is meant to look like one take. Um, this, that's weird. I didn't even notice. I didn't even pay attention to it being all one shot and i thought it was just like they came home one day and 
she was like, let me give you a bath and rub your stubby arm. And, you were done uh, by that point, right? I was so <laughs> checked out. Uh, okay, so we do a couple different segments here on the show. Uh, one of them is I've, I've come up with five questions. Do you have music yet for this? I, not yet. Maybe in season two. We'll see. We're, we're developing this. Just saying. Go. It happens on other shows and works. <laughs> I'll have to do it on this one. I love, this is this is actually my yearly review for my my two bosses. So this is yeah. great. Um, so I, I've come up with five questions that I think loosely apply to pretty much every movie uh, in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I'd like to get your guys' take when it pertains to the sisters' brothers. Uh, right. First question is: What aspect of the storytelling was done right, and which aspects were done wrong, and who do you give credit to? We'll start with Casey. Go ahead. Um, well, as I've mentioned, uh, the comedy was not done right, in my opinion, and the feeling of a Western wasn't done right. And I would blame the producers on that one. And the reason why is because I'm assuming the book feels more like a Western and um, John C. Riley's wife was like, let's adapt this book, not from Eli's perspective, but from the, not even from their, you know, it's an outward perspective at that mm-hmm. point of the whole uh, story, because they also focused on Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Riz Ahmed. So they decided to change what the core book's perspective was as it was and and do what they did with this movie. So, um, yeah, you know, c- cinematographer, he did just fine. Alexander Dusplat, <laughs> great. The director, maybe too. Maybe he even did a really good job. But something got lost for me in the translation of the writing. I didn't read the book. I never will. But that's what I'm assuming where the breakdown came from. I mean, you never know that you might love the book. I could. Maybe I'll be like, well, this this sounds great. But turn into a movie. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? Uh, I I liked I liked the pacing. Uh, I thought that that it carried itself well from start to finish. Um, I liked the character development a lot. Uh, the cinematography was beautiful, as we've talked about. Uh, but like like Case just said, I think that it would have been nice from a first-person point of view if John C. Riley was narrating the movie in a certain from a certain point, uh, just kind of giving us some insight, maybe... Because you know you get a lot of inner dialogue in a book, so you, get, you lose that in translation, you know? So... I find that inner dialogue, inner dialogue is very important when it comes to telling a story and also getting, you know, a character's point across. So like Casey said, watching it from the outside is great and all you're watching a movie, but are you really getting, um, the true message of the movie? Yes, no. Um, but I did enjoy it. Uh, and honestly, yeah, and that, that's a really good point. Um, I think a lot of movies struggle when it comes to adapting book to film, with the inner dialogue part of it, because it's so difficult to naturally present inner dialogue um, in a movie that you do lose a lot of the storytelling that way, especially if the book is told told in like kind of a first person um, narration. Um, okay, great. So question two, what is the biggest unanswered question for you about the movie? And do you think it was done intentionally? Let's start with Chris this time. My question is, what happened to that chemical compound? Was it ever, did it ever come back again? Did it die with harm? 
because he had the you know he had the formula so i liked that aspect of the movie a lot um and i really wanted to kind of have um i guess a little more uh an idea if anything was ever you know taken from that um but i'm gonna i'm gonna assume no um i would like to see what happened to mayfield the town after they got rid of mayfield <laughs> yeah that's a good point do you, do you think, was, do you think the that? chemical thing was done intentionally to leave that as like a cliffhanger I feel like that batch was the last one anyhow, you know, and when he dumped it, that's, that's it. You know, that was all that was made by, um, and I don't think it was ever mentioned if harm wrote, wrote anything down. Um, perhaps he did, and that could be used as something else down the road. But I, for one kind of would like to know if that was, uh, ever used in reality. (laughs) Um, That's a good point. And if I can get my hands on that formula today, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the sisters, brothers, uh, too. You know the the, yeah. form, the return of the formula. Yeah, the secret they are of the alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it, Casey. What do you think? Uh, what happened to the Commodore, man? How'd he die? Ooh, spinoff. You know, where's the prequel series? <laughs> <laughs> Commodore's rise to the roost. But yeah, like that that was one thing where I was just kind of like same thing with John C. Riley. It's like, oh, this okay. <laughs> just is what it is, I guess. That, that's it. Another playing for laughs. Uh, okay, question three. Personal connection is important. Was there anything that happened in the movie that reminded you of a real life story that happened to you? Let's start with Casey. And my dad, um, I shot him. (laughs) Uh, No, no. I mean, (laughs) I have a sister, and sometimes we get into arguments. (laughs) That's the extent of it. Never went, never went east with her, and and never mined for gold. Decided to do that, and um, never put in fake British accents like Jake Gyllenhaal did. There's, yeah, honestly, like. Have I drank too much and tried to get on a horse? Maybe that. That's probably it. Yeah. I gotta hear that story at some point. Maybe the company Christmas party. Go ahead, Chris. I got I got um so my dog is is reaching older age and he's been having these eye infections and so I've been having to take care of him. And then when that when when what's the horse name? Oh. Jesse. No, it's a much goofier name. But when John C. Riley's horse gets sick after the bear swipes its face and gets an eye infection, I got kind of choked up uh, <laughs> at that point yeah. of the movie. <laughs> so I was like, oh man. So yeah, that was, is, that hit It was a rough scene. That was a rough scene. And then also just kind of like, you know, dealing with, you know, dealing with addiction. It's just like, um, it's, it, it hits us all. And the thing that dealing with that and seeing like the breakdown of Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix, it was just, that's you know it's just it's for me from my perspective seeing that opens my eyes a lot um to things that i deal with and just you know i I, that's what i love about movies and stories is that it gives you these situations that you can relate to and just you know either take from it or leave it so Hmm. yeah interesting uh question four what is the most important sequence in the movie 
I don't forgot who we went with. So let's go with Casey. I don't know who we went with the first listener. Um, the most important, I probably at the turn when with the with the chemical burns and him deciding to make that that move to hastily um, try to get all that money, and it screwed everybody. I mean, everybody from then on. So that was for me. That was the most important part because that was the part that really like put put the rest of the movie in motion and you realize that nothing good other than seeing their mom at the end really came from all of that. For me, it was when the sister brothers were captured by um, Harm and Gyllenhaal. I'll just mix up their names, you know, just cr- crisscross them. But um, so they capture them, they have them tied up and they don't trust them. And all of a sudden Mayfield's trappers show up and they're, and they get in that confrontation. Yeah. And, so like they're like, oh, let us free. We'll help you. And at that point, it's like, are the sister brothers going to shoot? Like, take these guys, take these guys out, and then take out the two, you know, and then bring their bounty in. So you don't know really know where that's going to turn at that point. Can they trust the sisters brothers? And so they they do they do end up letting them free. They do the shootout. They take out the trappers, and then from there, it just you know it kind of that whole the four the four of them go on from that. But that was a turning point for me because it showed that that the sister brothers were, were not just these, these mer, mer, mercenaries, Dugs. you know? Yeah. And it was like, they, they also maybe had goals for themselves and that getting this gold uh, would be, would be beneficial. So for me, that was just where everybody came together at that point. Um, that, that did it for me. It's, it's, it's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, cause it's at that point in the film, I mean, it could really go one of two ways. They could team up and, and go after the gold or the brothers could just take them out and it, you know, Go back to the Commodore and, and collect their winnings. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, last question. If you could recast two roles in the film, what roles would they be? Who would you recast in them and why? Let's start with Chris. Um, Jude Law should have played Hall's role. Ooh. <laughs> Definitely. Um, oh. <sighs> I don't know. Um, why, why Jude Law? Uh, the accent and um, <laughs> just the that was the person I came up with like 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 Jude Law and Jake Gyllenhaal they, they exist in the same plane for me um, so <laughs> just kind of that same that same cabal of actors from that time period but um, yeah that, that's what came into my mind <laughs> but um, I you know what the rest everybody else um, even Gyllenhaal they they all did it for me uh, I really maybe somebody else than John C. Riley, but then again, I really liked his role in this movie, so I I don't know. I can't really replace anybody else. That's my only one. <laughs> what about you, Casey? So Joaquin Phoenix and John C. Riley are replaced by Jeff Bridges and Sam Elliott. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make it more of a Western? Hey, you tell me that that movie wouldn't be 10 times better without with the two of them in there older brothers yeah sure but hell man i'd watch sam elliott act outside of a paper bag i love that guy <laughs> sounds like yeah, the sequel yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're much older exactly um i could see leonardo dicaprio in this in this movie somewhere i mean maybe either as Hall's character or joaquin's Commodore. character uh yeah um i just i'm picturing him from the revenant and i think you know, oh, nice. that's kind of like that Western feel, and I could I could see that that playing out really well. 
Yeah, that movie. Oh, man. <laughs> That's Yeah, talk about a brutal... Man, I can't believe the bear won the Academy Award for that. <laughs> he deserves it. <laughs> so uh, one of my favorite things to do on this show uh, is a little game I like to call uh, Guess That Tomato. <laughs> where I have my guest uh, guess the Rotten Tomato score for the movie. Um, as you know, Rotten Tomatoes has two scores. They have the critic score and the audience score. Um, and I will leave it up to you guys to guess either one if you want. Uh, so what we're going to do first is we're going to go around. You guys guess the score. Then I'm going to give you a little hint. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to change your guess if you'd like. Uh, so let's start with Casey. What do you guess is the score on Rotten Tomatoes for the Sisters Brothers? I'm going to guess the audience score, 37%. Wow. Okay, Chris? Uh, audience score, uh, 53%. And critic, I can say the critic one now? You, you can do both if you want. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I'm going to say the critics is like 83%. Okay. And critics, here... I'll, I'll, wait, hold on. Critics, I'll say 71. All right. All right. Uh, and here is the hint I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three films that are within 2% of the audience score. So these films have similar scores to the Sisters Brothers. Are you ready? Film number one, Terminator Dark Fate. Film number two, The Joker. And film number three, Pokemon Detective Pikachu. So would either one of you gentlemen like to change your scores? I'm going to change my... That's the that's the audience score? That is the audience score. I'm going to change my audience score to 83%. Ooh. You said, okay, the audience scores were within 2% of this? 2% of those three movies, yep. And it was Detective Pikachu... The Joker. The Joker. And, and Terminator Dark Fate. I mean, when you say it like that, then <laughs> I'll say uh, I'll say 92%. All right. So the critic score for the Sisters Brothers on Rotten Tomatoes, 87%. Chris, I think you were close. You had 80, 83, I think you said. The audience score for the Sisters Brothers... 68 percent which is crazy to me because i feel like i feel like the joker and uh, detective pikachu should be higher than that yeah terminator dark fate not so much Hmm. dark fate was the newer one yeah Yeah, it's the one yeah better than genesis where somehow the terminator has aged despite the fact that he's a complete robot and and explain that (laughs) oh good because i i I haven't seen it that's how horrible it looks but (laughs) it's okay (laughs) Um, so I, I really appreciate you guys coming on the show. Uh, thank you, uh, truly from the bottom of my heart for allowing me to do something like this. I really appreciate the faith that you guys have in me and letting me be a part of, uh, don't forget towels, uh, you know, cinematic universe, if you will, uh, radio universe, podcast universe, um, before (laughs) we go, (laughs) before we go, um, one last thing I like to do on the show is it's a firm belief of the owners of. Well, you guys, that everybody geeks out on something. And while it might not be comic books and movies, it may be woodworking and gardening. Who knows? Uh, but before we go, please tell the audience, what is it you guys are geeking out on now? Let's start with Chris. I am geeking out on uh, 
collecting a bunch of Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary action figures and collectibles. Nice. What do you got so far? I have everything. Uh, I, <laughs> everything. Um, I've gotten uh, some some Black Series figures on the Empire Strikes Back card. Uh, I just ordered my my celebration Empire Strikes Back 40th anniversary shirt. I like I like these baseball sh- longer sleeve shirts, um, and um, amongst the other things that I can't even think of right now. <laughs> nice man. What about you, or- Casey? Uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater One and Two. <laughs> <laughs> Have you started playing yet? I played it for a little bit this morning when my daughter went to bed, and I I got rushed back twenty years in two seconds. <laughs> it was the greatest fucking thing. <laughs> well, that's great, guys. Again, I really appreciate it. Anything you guys want to plug before we sign off? Listen to the other shows on this podcast network. <laughs> yeah, check it check it out, and don't, don't forget, forget to tell dot com. Yeah. Great, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're supposed to tell us if you're recording the call. I'm recording the call. Did you forget? Hey, there we go. Nope. Dude. Did you forget? No. Uh, Jacques Odiars, the sisters brothers. (laughs) Chris, are you hopping on in a second? Yeah, he's probably just finishing dinner. There he is. Oh, he's muted. I'm here. I'm here. He's here.